0: Hello and welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Asia podcast. We usually spotlight the voices of our region here, but we also want to remember that we are part of a global movement. So occasionally we mix in some of the best content from around the world. Today we're featuring an episode with Dr. Kamal Gachigi that was originally recorded with our Faith Driven Entrepreneur Africa team. When Dr. Kamal Gachigi was teaching engineers at the University of Nairobi, He noticed that curious and talented students and faculty were not able to pursue the creative potential of their ideas because of limited access to equipment for building prototypes. In 2009, Kamal created Fab Labs, a fabrication lab with computer-controlled machines and tools for the public to use. Riding off the boom in innovation and software startups in Nairobi, Kamal decided to launch Gearbox in 2011. Equipped with equipment such as 3D printing, laser cutting, and electronic circuitry, Gearbox provides a makerspace for Kenyan entrepreneurs to turn their ideas into a physical reality. Today, Kamau shares what he's learned about keeping up with the industrial revolution in Africa and jumping the gap from ideas to prototypes. Let's listen in. Entrepreneurs, we're rooting ourselves in love and purpose. How do we build a sustainable venture to enable people to flourish? Any use of money is simply to serve this God on whom we are completely dependent. The only legacy that I care about is Jesus Christ. I don't care
1: about my legacy. Jesus could kneel down and clean the feet of his
2: disciples. If he can do that, he is God, who are we?
0: Entrepreneurship is changing Asia from within. Leaders across industries are taking up their God-given call to create. We are excited to highlight the many stories of what God is doing throughout our region. We will also feature entrepreneurs from around the world who have important things to say, no matter where they call home. Come for the content. Stay for the community. Welcome to Faith Driven Entrepreneur.
1: Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Africa podcast, where we spotlight the voices of entrepreneurs and innovators Shaping the marketplace across the continent. This week, we are featuring Kamau Gashigi. When Dr. Kamau Gashigi was teaching engineers at the University of Nairobi, he noticed that the students and faculty were not able to pursue the creative potential of their ideas. The problem wasn't a lack of innovation. It was a lack of resources. The school had little equipment for building Prototypes. So, in 2009, Dr. Gashigi created a fabrication lab with computer-controlled machines and tools for the public to use. Eventually, that idea morphed into the Nairobi Prototyping Facility, Gearbox. The state-of-the-art facility invites Kenyan entrepreneurs to utilize technology like 3D printing, laser cutting, and electronic circuitry so they can turn their ideas into physical realities. He joins the show to talk about African innovation and bridging the gap from idea to prototype. All
2: right. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name's Afoso Jomo. I am one of the co-hosts here for the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Africa podcast. And I've got with me uh, as a co-host today My good brother, Frank. Frank, who you ask? Well, Frank, go ahead and tell him who you are real
3: quick. (laughs) Foso, so good to be here. So good to have the awesome privilege of being a part of this podcast for the very first time. We are missing Ndidi today, but it's always good to have another Nigerian still being on the podcast. So I'm Frank. I'm actually a Zimbabwean sitting with you. And I'm part of the community team here at Faith Driven Entrepreneur, and I'm based in Southern Africa, and I love uh, what God's doing on the continent and what He's doing with entrepreneurs. And so, so chuffed to be able to join in this podcast today. so, where are you sitting?
2: Awesome, awesome. Well, I usually am sitting in Boston, Massachusetts, but today I'm in Portland, Oregon, and excited to be here with family. We have an incredible guest today that I'm convinced after you hear Dr. Kamal's story, you will be inspired, um, inspired to build, inspired to create. Dr. Kamal, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. We are super, super excited to talk about Gearbox and the work you're doing in Nairobi. But before we get into that, uh, I want to ground us a little bit. First, maybe just tell us a little bit about who you are, Dr. Kamau, and how you came to do the work you're doing.
4: Let's just start there. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much, Fosa, and thank you as well, uh, Frank. It's a real pleasure to be on this podcast. It's also a, a distinct honor to be asked, and it's wonderful to hear you describe The work that we do here in Kenya, in those glowing terms, it it makes us feel like it's worth what we're doing. Uh, But just to get right to uh, your question, so I'm coming from a background of teaching at the University of Nairobi. I began teaching there about 1998, and I was teaching in engineering 1999, actually. At the time that I was there, over the time that I was there, I was really excited about the talent, both the student body and also my fellow lecturers, in terms of just people's. Understanding, Having studied in the U.S., done my doctorate out there and so on, the level of intellect and so on within engineering, the engineering school is very, very impressive. However, the failure of the system to enable people to translate what it is they understand into solutions, which is what engineering is all about, that was what really bothered me because there just wasn't what a lot of people call a national innovation system, a system that allows or maybe audits the population for talent and is able to channel it through you know whatever institutions are available and whatever's happening in the private sector so that you can fairly seamlessly get ideas to be precipitated into uh, products or machines that are required to solve problems. And so I set about trying to sort of set that up for the university. And one of the ways that can be done is by setting up what's called a science and technology park. Quite simply put, most universities want to set up their own Silicon Valley, if you like. And so Mm. I started doing that at the University of Nairobi, found that doing it from within the university was very limiting, especially because of the level of bureaucracy and a a number of other things that we were experiencing. Bureaucracy
2: at a university?
4: No. <laughs> I know I know I know I know <laughs> I know like <laughs> it's synonymous right yeah it's pretty much synonymous anywhere in the world right so you know it made more sense to step out and I joined forces with some people in a local hub that was focused around IT solutions which we were speaking before we started recording about you know how exciting it is to have a lot of like for example fintech companies people who can create a software-based solution to a problem quite easily and make some good money and have a good impact doing so. Mm -hmm. But we felt we needed to do this through hardware. So we we hooked up with a a hub that dealt mostly with software-type startups, but they recognized the need for some hardware and a hardware angle to what they did as well. And we set up what we call Gearbox. And so that, in a nutshell, is really how we started. And maybe I can throw it back to you, Efosa.
2: Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much for telling us that. I love the just evolutionary nature of your story, right? It wasn't like you were a kid and you were like, in 25 years, I'm going to build Gearbox. You were guided really by the problems you encountered in society. And that's what innovation's all about. But I want to get a bit more specific now. There is something you said in your TED Talk. Now, if you've not listened to Dr. Kamal's TED Talk, I beg of you, go listen to it well after you listen to the podcast of course (laughs) go go check it out uh he got a standing ovation at the end of it it's truly worth it you talked about how the world is entering this fourth industrial revolution can you just maybe talk a little bit about what that means Uh, because that term gets thrown around a lot and and why that's important for the african entrepreneur or, or the average african really
4: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we're all aware that technology in the modern age has been phenomenal in terms of the developments that we enjoy. I mean, cell phones and all sorts of things that are part of our part and parcel of daily life. But when you break it down historically, you're able to sort of identify distinct epochs, if you like. And so when steam energy was harnessed to develop mechanical power and machinery and so on in the 1700s, that was the first industrial revolution. And about a hundred years later, Electricity, you know, was discovered and was made use of. And then we were able to do mass production and so on. And that's in the 1800s. Then you had the second industrial revolution. These, of course, happening in Europe. And then, of course, about a hundred years later, 1969, some people like to say there was the birth of the digital revolution and you had, you know, the birth of the transistor. And uh, quickly thereafter, you had personal computers coming on board and so on about a couple of decades later. And so, Now, barely 50 years on from that point, so you notice that the other industrial revolutions have a gap of 100 years between them, but about 50 years after that, which is pretty much now, we find that there's a merger of the digital revolution, all these others that I've described, and also very importantly, biotechnology, which is huge In terms not just of the pharmaceutical industry, which is in everybody's mind because of what's just been happening with COVID, but uh, lots of other angles, biomimicry, you know, imitating nature because of how efficiently nature manages to do things. And so that merger of all of this and artificial intelligence, robotics, and all these technologies, molecular biology, uh, are what are being now described as a fourth industrial revolution. And it's very important for us on the continent. It's important for everybody, but on the continent, we're looking at the yawning gap, if I may say, that's been stretching even before, you know, like since the African countries broadly got independence in the 60s, we've been playing catch up in a lot of ways. And we haven't got those national innovation systems that I've been mentioning earlier to be able to really harness what our own unique innovations and so on have been and make them Mm -hmm. relevant. And now we're having this hugely rapid pace of change. One person put it this way that Technology has never changed as fast as it's changing right now in the history of man. And it's not likely to be this slow in the future again. Mm -hmm. In other words, that pace of change will carry on increasing. And so the question for us is how do we keep abreast of this? Is there ways in which we can leapfrog? And we have seen with cell phone technologies, for example, that we can leapfrog in certain ways. And looking for those angles is critical. And for me, that's why I would say it's very important to understand that context, the context within which we're trying to do this nebulous thing called development. Yeah, wow. You know, you've, I mean, that was
2: about two, three minutes and you've just hit us with so much. First, you hit us with history. We started with mechanization, the first industrial revolution, electrification, the second digitization, the third, now we're sort of in the fourth, experiencing it right now. And then when you connect that, right, all the advancements humans have made and how, broadly speaking, right, it's, it's sobering. Africa has been left behind, if we are to be honest. And I often say there's no progress without honesty. Africa, by and large, has been left behind. The, the, the only major innovation i say we have across africa is the mobile phone where the average african has access maybe not every african but the average that's the only one that i'm aware of i I could be wrong you're helping us see if we don't change course today uh, or very soon man not only are we going to continue to get left behind but the distance is going to increase significantly and that gets me to gearbox right so Give us a bit of an overview of how you, in your capacity, are, are trying to solve that major problem it's, it's massive, right? So tell us about Gearbox, how you're addressing this.
4: Yeah, thank you. So as I said earlier, as I spoke about the genesis, I guess, of of Gearbox, how we came to be, we were looking in our context in Kenya. It was a time when we had developed and we're enjoying, as you mentioned, mobile phones, we're enjoying the advent of mobile money. So people were able to transfer money in ways that we you know, had never imagined. And really, we were the first country in the world to really do it in the way that we were at that time you know and so we saw a lot of progress a lot of the country that was unbanked was suddenly able to have a bank they carried around in their pocket and you know revolutionary you know i mean you're talking before yeah. that you know you're, you're going to the bank it's an event if you're coming from the rural area you know i mean you have to pack up or, you know start the journey and <laughs> if you're too late and it closes, uh, you have to look for accommodation oh. it might be three days you know so now it's in your pocket right and there are these agents who is like the guy who had a shop down the road, who now you can just go over to and withdraw money. So this is a massive revolution. And on the back of it, there were lots of fintech-based technologies that came up, companies, startups that were, many of them, homegrown. So we were excited and we were saying, look, we've been here teaching engineering since independence and we know the kind of minds that are doing this and they're not enjoying this kind of opportunity how can we make it possible so the model that we picked was we said if anybody who's in engineering can make a prototype of the idea they have and be able to do even a small scale pilot in the marketplace and say hey i tried this out i built it and i have 10 people who like it and they're using it and you show that to an investor the chances for getting some positive response and even investment are much higher than what we normally do in Kenya. And it's true, I think, in many African countries where you have exhibitions at the universities, you have an open day and like the president or the local Mm -hmm. governor comes by and there are all these clever ideas being shown, but they all look pretty raw, you know, wires sticking out and so on. They don't look like (laughs) products. They look like very clever innovations mm-hmm. but no one's about to put any money into them so everybody gets a pat on the back and there's some nice flowery language and zero investment zero transfer into the market wow. and that's been historically where we've been stuck and so people do their engineering and then they go for the jobs that pay And typically, you're coming from a rural area, from a poor background. You've studied really hard. And so you've gotten into university and you're in a hurry to make some money. You have a Mm -hmm. lot of people behind you, your parents and your younger brothers and sisters. You have to start helping to support. You know, you don't have the luxury of a lot of the kids in in the West. You know, it's not just you and you. It's it's you and everybody, your whole family. So, you know, if PwC or one of these big audit firms is going to offer you a job, and the first thing you're wearing a suit to work so you already look the part so culturally just because of where we are historically it's attractive you know people want to look like they're successful then you get a car loan before you know it and a home loan so a lot of people who our governments are spending a lot of money to educate in engineering are ending up in banks you know and auditing firms you know the auditing firms at the University of Nairobi were very clear they'd come to the dean every year and say look the first stop for recruitment is engineering departments uh, because the engineers make really good auditors because of the way they've been trained and what have you. And so you're looking at an abortion of purpose. I mean, if you're the minister of industrialization, there's an abortion of purpose. If you're the minister of education, you sit down together, the two of you and you're saying, look, I'm putting all this money, taxpayer money into educating these guys. You're waiting for them to set up industries. And, you know, the tragedy is that If you look at the number of engineers per capita in most African countries, they're way below the benchmark. If you look, if you want to benchmark with Malaysia, Vietnam and these kinds of countries, South Korea, they have so many more engineers per capita. And so we're way below, but even that small number of engineers we have cannot be absorbed by the industry that we've got. And so you have wow. this very strange irony, you know, so people are not going to carry on in engineering. So it's a long story, but the point I'm making is that we said, if we can enable these guys at Gearbox to have access to equipment, to have access to design tools, design thinking, and how to sort of optimally use all these tools to create the solutions or prototypes, and then they can stay there. Because if I'm at a university, I'm a student, and I want to use the machines And at 6 p.m., I'm not done. I want to carry on innovating. There's a guard who's coming around with a bunch of keys and says, hey, hey, time to get out. I have to lock the door. Little things like that are hindering innovation. So like we had huge problems at the University of Nairobi. Because of that, you know, the guard has to lock the room. And, you know, for innovation, you need rigor. People should Uh be able to sleep in the lab all night if necessary to get it done. So, you know, this is what we were making available. And so Gearbox was created to make it easier for people uh to do that.
3: Wow, that's incredible. And it's just, Doc, you know, you really hit home. I've got an accounting background, so I understand what it means to wear a suit and Seemingly look important. So <laughs> I can't agree with you more, especially as Africans, how that view and how your parents are so proud of you when you walk out there with a laptop and a suit. And so I can really attest to that and, and relate to that. And I really love your overview of gearbox and just what you're doing. And so, you know, it sounds like an incredible model that you've come up with. I think some people could hear the word prototype in what you're talking about. And they think of this low quality product like a, Stick figure drawing of an eventual masterpiece, but that's not what Gearbox does. People that work in your lab gain access to highly sophisticated machinery and equipped to build incredible things. Do you mind just giving our audience an idea of what you've seen developed at Gearbox and what they're working with?
4: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you 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 put it well, but I, I still would not sort of undervalue the picture you painted of the stick type prototype that is still very much where things start you know it could be right. cardboard it could be paper and we still do that uh, but you're right there are tools that are available to make that a lot more sophisticated you have 3D printing for example which is a rapid prototyping tool so that you know if you have an idea in the morning by the end of the day you could actually have what we call a looks like and works like prototype you know or at least a looks like prototype and so the stick yeah. prototype doesn't look like the product the final product but you know if If you can make it such that it not just looks like but also works like what you want and intend, then that from an engineering perspective and product development or product realization perspective is very important. But we've had a number of things. So one of the things we're very proud of is… A lot of people on our campus who make machines that are in the class of machines called computer numerical control or CNC for short. So what they are is machines that maybe they're milling or there's a laser cutter or some kind of uh, what we call end effector, something that's changing the shape of some raw material exactly as the drawing that you've created on the computer has defined it so that it's an automated machining tool. And this is entry-level robotics, if you like. And it's very, very important for industrialization. We talked about mass production, we talked about robotics and so on. So we have people who are able to make those machines, plasma cutters, wood routers, laser cutters, 3D printers, they're all part of that class. And we're making them not just for fun we're making them for business so local business people who need these machines to say for example take sheet metal and then make out of the sheet metal maybe some kind of a shape that's part of a machine it could be like the housing of a fridge you know so you can picture your fridge it has the mechanics in it it has the internal parts that are molded plastics it has shelves and stuff like that and then you have the metal outer so the metal outer could be made first using a plasma cutter or a laser cutter, and then you can have it bent into the shapes that you require. And then you are able to paint it using methods like powder coating, which gives you that very nice finish. And so all these methods are available and they're fairly basic, you know, it's basic in terms of engineering. They're not extremely fancy methods. But the important thing is that people can do very quickly what they need to do in this space. We also have more exciting stuff that's more like high tech. People have made drones. People have made, there's one guy, a a young lady who, uh, he's an AI expert. She's an electronics expert. And what they did is, because his niece was born deaf and mute, and so he was inspired to create a solution for her. And so he created a system whereby whoever is deaf... Will wear the gloves that have sensors on every finger and then as they do the sign language the electrical signals that are generated from their finger movement are converted into words using artificial intelligence and so wow. you then pick a voice on your phone male or female using his app and then your phone as you sign language speaks out everything that you're signing. And so this, you know, we have a partnership with the American Society of Mechanical Engineers. And every year they hold a competition for all of Africa in Kenya with Gearbox being one of the hosts. And, you know, so they won some years back and that took them to the US. They also won a competition that's done by the British Royal Academy of Engineering. So, you know, that company is now off and running and it's unique in the world. There hadn't been such a development as far as we could tell at that point. And we've got some Who designed a solar cell on a roof tile, which is what Elon Musk is also doing. But our sort of ethos is not necessarily to do the fancy stuff, it's to do what is required in the marketplace. We want people to start generating jobs locally. So import substitution as an economic theory in terms of how things can be arranged for a country to develop economically is very important. And for us, and so we're going after hospital beds, we're going after, you know, trolleys for the hospital, we're going after, you know, things that are very mundane, uh, not necessarily the sexiest things from the point of view of technology. But we know that if the government in particular, which is the biggest consumer in any country, can be compelled to give that business locally then you're not exporting jobs you have jobs that are being generated locally and so our focus is on
3: that more than anything Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, Doc, I just love that story of these people just coming together and creating this thing that allows people to be able to communicate and change the lives of a family. And obviously, you know, the outpouring effects of innovation and how it helps nations out of poverty is quite a key thing that we discussed, especially in Africa, seeing the state that a lot of our countries are in. And we want to make it better. We want to see the betterment of African people. And one of those ways is just the innovation that you've just spoken about and what Gearbox is doing. Do you have any other examples or things that you can say of the ripple effects that have come from the services that you've provided as Gearbox? Any other examples of that?
4: So let me uh, sort of frame this answer in terms of like the kind of structure that we created and the kinds of technologies that we focused on very early on because of the fourth industrial revolution, we realized we have to be able to do circuitry and circuitry together with coding is critically important for control systems, for systems that are, you know, sort of able to respond to the environment. And so as a consequence of the amount of skill that we built up in the people who use Gearbox and the capacity, we attracted a company from... From the uk that was interested in getting into electronic manufacturing in africa as it happens you know it was uh, a most interesting thing at the very first meeting i wasn't able to make it I had to cancel because i'm ill and so in the next meeting that we had the first thing that the chairman of that company said to me is uh, can i pray for you because i heard you were ill and so it was a faith-driven organization out of the uk which is great but what happened anyway is wow. that um they have set up a manufacturing plant in our premises in partnership with us. So we have a joint venture with them. So, and this is, I think, very important. When We're not looking to just host countries or companies from outside, which will come and take advantage of our markets, which really will provide employment, yes, but we want ownership by Africans in our countries. And so we're really pleased with the arrangement that we have with them. And so now we're able to do circuitry. And so we're looking at very unique technologies that are quite unique to our part of the world, like pay-as-you-go. So you have somebody who designed a system that would allow people to have gas who cannot afford gas normally and the way uh, yeah. for cooking and the way that this happens because we don't have piped gas to the homes but this is really effectively the same thing so they deliver to your humble abode, you know, which is unfortunately the common type of housing for a lot of us in urban areas in African countries, they deliver the gas cylinder. Mm -hmm. It's not yours. It sits in your house and there's a special regulator that has technology in it. And so when you pay, you know, you pay using mobile money, the server at the telco sends a signal to this regulator for the valve to open for a certain period of time, which has been designed to be long enough for you to cook. And so the amount is like 50 cents U.S., or $1 US, and you cook. And so if you do this every day for about a year, you actually then own the cooker, but the gas cylinder will continue to be provided as you need it. And then there's an edge over the middle class because when your gas cylinder is a bit low, they have a sensor so they can tell. So you get a call that says, hey, it looks like your gas is low. We want to bring you a replacement and you need some eggs and milk as well. So it's a very interesting, you know, Trojan horse kind of a business model. And so this has now enabled a lot of people to cook with gas in their homes who previously were using charcoal, paraffin, and other kinds of energy sources that are typically not very clean, very expensive, and so on. So this pay-as-you-go technology is something that we're able to create the circuits for because we now have the factory for circuitry or surface mount technology, as we call it. And so because you can't call up China and say, send me a couple of these circuits, they don't (laughs) exist, right? So it's an empowering thing. And we're seeing it for solar power. People have like over a million homes have, you know, gotten solar power because of this type of pay-as-you-go because you're paying little bits every day. And, you know, it's a, the human-centered design aspect is very critical because, and this is very important for people who are designing engineering solutions, to really understand the problem, really look at who is going to use it and what do they need. And so, you know, that design thinking showed that a typical poor person cannot afford say $30 at the end of the month in a lump sum, but they can't afford a dollar a day. So it's the same amount of money. It's just the way the budget works in in that level. (laughs) Yeah, and so now the technology allows you to spend just a dollar a day to get what it is that you need. So solar has not impacted Africa since it was invented in the 70s, even though we have the most sun coverage because people couldn't afford the capital outlay. So these technologies are enabling that, which is very exciting.
3: Oh, that's fantastic. Doc, Sheesh, that's really exciting, especially about the gas thing because of power outages on our continent. It's very innovative. But just quickly as we move on, Doc, I just want to hear... Yeah, there's one member who produced a product that ended up in the hands of Facebook creator Mark Zuckerberg. Can you tell us a little bit of that story? Very interested to hear that. Well, yeah. So
4: Mark Zuckerberg visited Kenya and Nigeria at some point. And while he was in Kenya, he came by Gearbox and and iHub and some of the other places. And I got a chance to meet him. And I was presenting to him two of the technologies I've already mentioned. One is the gas technology I just mentioned. And then the other one was the solar cell in a roof tile which is wow. very similar to what, in fact, is exactly the same as what Elon Musk and his company Tesla is pushing. So, you know, we always joke saying, you know, we did it before he did. We haven't really looked at the, <laughs> the
3: timelines <laughs> exactly the of timelines. When
4: did what it yeah, did. Yeah, you know, but it's nice to be able to say that. And then it sort of highlights the fact that if it was in a country where the national innovation system was mature, then this young African engineer and his sister who's an architect who came up with it would probably be doing very well, yeah? But because we're not as mature that way, then they haven't really grown at anywhere close to the level that Tesla is able to provide those roof tile solar cells.
3: Yeah. No, but if if uh, Elon Musk ever gets a chance to listen to his podcast, it'd be great to team up with us here in Africa, considering he is from Pretoria, South to get some Kenyan infusion there as well. Well, interesting thing, if
4: I could just quickly interject, one of Tesla's best engineers when it was building is a young Kenyan called Charlie Mwangi. And Charlie spent uh, quite a few years working there and his team built one of the biggest factories, most modern factories in California for automobile making, a Tesla factory. And he was heading up about a couple of hundred engineers under him. And when he left Tesla, he was reporting directly to Elon Musk. And so Charlie is very much in touch with us. He was actually in Nairobi recently and we talked to him all the time. And he left Tesla, he joined Travis Kalanick, the founder of Uber, to set up a a new dark kitchen startup in California. Then he left that, he joined Rivian and he was senior vice president for engineering at Rivian. And now he's a general partner at a fund called the Eclipse Fund. And he's looking very much to focus some of that money because they have about $500 million that they want to put into hardware-based companies. And some of it should come to Africa. So, you know, nobody's that far away. You know, we could reach Elon through him fairly easily.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure, wow. for sure. Elon's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs>
2: wow. Now this is truly, truly fascinating. I love it. Just hearing these stories. And what started out, again, just going back to the beginning, right, what started out as you going back to serve the country, teach at a university, and just really asking the hard questions, right? Like, oh, I'm going to teach all these students. They're brilliant. They're amazing. But the truth of the matter is, if I'm honest with myself, there is a cap. There's a limit on how much they can create, how much they can advance, and I have to solve that problem. So I have to ask, I, you know, we are faith-driven entrepreneur a podcast after all. So I have to ask because, you know, not everyone, not every professor, right? Not everyone in Africa leans into the difficulty. And when I hear about your story, Dr. K., you really have qualities that resonate with what we call the marks of a faith-driven entrepreneur. I mean, the scripture says, you know, we are the salt and light of the world. And, you know, I just get the sense that you represent that to the people that you serve. So I got to ask, you know, do you see your work as ministry and how does faith influence what you do?
4: Yeah, I'm so happy to have that question because I often feel a strong need to give glory to God because, and very honestly so, I'm not saying it as some kind of a, you know, what people just sort of say as a meme or something, I, I truly mean it because I've seen the hand of God in what we've built. What we build, what I focus on very much is the young people and just giving them the platform. So every young person who comes to me or calls me, I make sure I listen very intently to what, uh, because, you know, the innovations come in, in a package called a human, you know, warm bodied soft tissue package, right? So if you're looking for it out there on the internet and so on, yes. That is part of it, but you know, you have to listen to these young people and you have no idea what they're going to tell you before they speak. So I made it a principle of what I do to really give them time and also to give them the sort of platform to grow the classes and this and that and in the process the most important thing I mean we could all you know become the most uh, we can get into the fifth industrial revolution and become the wealthiest continent in the world and all go to hell right so I mean it's not about technology and it's not about finance it's about people's hearts it's about salvation so in a sort of um a careful way. That's what we focus on. Ultimately, we talk. We, you know, I have relationships with a lot of people and try to make the culture at our platform faith-based without being too overtly so. We get a lot of our funding from actually, uh, Lemelson Foundation, which is right there in Portland where you are, <laughs> Fossa. And, you know, there's certain yeah. things, you know, the way the world works nowadays, you know, you cannot profess these things, uh, uh, too publicly. Yeah. You have, you have to be as sly as a serpent, right? Yeah. You know, as you're trying to conduct these things. So we're quite careful, but we're really hopeful that we're in a guerrilla mode with our evangelism and so on and and trying to build people. But it's never far from our hearts. And really, a lot of the successes we've enjoyed, I mean, it's been up and down. You know, there's times when we go without salary, we're almost closing the doors, wow. but it never yeah. gets to that point. It always somehow we're always... Sort of pulled up out of the problem. And even right now we're transitioning. So the funding that we've enjoyed for the last seven years has come to an end this very month, not next month. And so we have two companies we've set up. There's the one I just mentioned for the electronics manufacturer. There's another one we call Machine Africa Network of Industries. It's a for-profit and these two companies use Gearbox as a pipeline and then they give back to Gearbox. So we're trying to transition to a model that makes this work. You know, We modeled ourselves as gearbox on something called tech shop out of the US at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it had a model very much like a gym. So you pay membership, you can come and use the machines, you get instruction on how to use the machines, you sign up for what you're going to use, make sure you don't hurt yourself or anybody else, and don't damage the equipment. And that's kind of the mode. And then we realized very quickly, we don't have the disposable income that the Americans have. People can't pay, you know, $100 a month, for this membership, you know, unless they really know what they're doing and they're going to make money out of it. So we had to transition our model to teaching and then they come, they pay us to learn and then we give them assignments that make sure they end up with innovations. And so, wow. you know, those are some of the things we had to adjust and tech shop in the US folded. So oh, wow. making this model work is not obvious. If you don't have a government that's funding you or something, then it becomes yeah. More
2: Absolutely. You you need a lot of resources. I just saw an index that said the average Kenyan would have to spend 63% of their income per year the annual income on the new iphone 14 the only country that spends a little more on the index i saw is nigeria which is 69 percent. so clearly this model it'd be difficult to replicate let me pass it over to my brother frank uh to take you through what's called the lightning round dr k don't be scared don't be scared but we're gonna we're gonna hit you hit you like lightning back to back to back so so frank come on
3: man take it hit, home hit me hit me yes <laughs> yes doc um <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, so, so lighting round we, we love this round because we just give you a question and you just need to answer it for about 30 seconds only and so what's something you miss about living abroad and where did you live actually all
4: right so i lived in europe i lived in the north america i lived in japan And in each place, more than, you know, about three years. And what I would say I miss is just the convenience of things sort of working like clockwork. Just the ease of doing simple things that, you know, when you're back on the continent, are quite hard to do. (laughs) And sort of uh, systems that work and plug and play, that kind of thing is probably the only thing I miss, to be honest.
3: Oh, fantastic. Great. Next question. What is the one thing you saw prototyped that you just didn't make it into the production phase?
4: Oh, there's so many. I mean, what makes it into the production phase is a minority, actually. I can point a device that was designed to help pregnant women, particularly in rural areas, not have to travel long distances, you know, for the fetal heart rate to be monitored, which is one important indicator. And so they had a device that the woman could have in her home, and she just sort of pressed it against her stomach. And then uh, the heart rate is sort of lifted to the cloud. And then the doctor can tell you from a distance what's going on and what isn't going on. And the model for who owns this device and who pays for it was what didn't work, but I still think there's a solution out there.
3: Oh, great. Next question. What could global engineers learn from those in Africa?
4: We're always encouraging our local people to be authentic. And we know that the model that we all follow isn't necessarily the only one. There's a lot if we reach back into African history, though, about the way things were done that were very interesting, especially like around herbs and so on and around, you know, even, you know, open brain surgery in Western Kenya, you know, there's videos shown of it being done in a traditional setting. And so that's encouraging. And so we're trying to tell people to be authentic. And so we don't play catch up. We can lead for sure in our own ways. And so my pain is always to speak to young people about just being authentic and allowing whatever's inside to come out. It's it's God given. And I believe that when that really starts to happen uh, at scale, then the whole world will be awed. But even more than that is the Christian base. If we can now overlay the Christian base because we know all ideas come from God, I think there's going to be shockers coming through.
3: Wow, wow, fantastic. One more question, Doc. If Gearbox had been around when you were a student, what would you have built? You know what? I'm a
4: materials engineer myself, or a material scientist, and right. so I sort of work around processes for converting, let's say, ores or various kinds of powders and so on into products. And I think I would work because I was doing electroceramics. That's what I did at my PhD, which is in the circuits on all kinds of devices. A lot of them are made out of ceramics that have really interesting types of properties. I think somewhere in that space of device design around materials is what I'd have worked on, but the gearbox would have to have evolved a little more than it is right now to make that possible but along those lines that's where i would be
3: doing most of my tinkering oh fantastic dog well done for the quick responses
2: look i feel like we could keep talking for another three hours but we have to end it here i know and i would just yeah, I know, man. It's just amazing to hear you talk. You've got that voice, Doc. I don't know if you ever heard if if your if you're teaching and and gearbox doesn't work out, you need to go into radio. I mean, I could just listen to you exactly you can, oh my god anyway i agree um, i
4: agree but, thank you sir <laughs> but, but but
2: one last question which i think is important because you never know who this is going to touch is in your faith journey what is god teaching you right now whether it's through his word and experience through fellowship worship with people what is he teaching you and telling you uh, right now
4: doc you know, Fosa recently I was invited by the military in Kenya. And that's something we could have talked about if, you as you say, we had more time. But they wanted me to yeah. give them a talk. They had uh, military generals and so sort of top brass from about 14 countries who had come into Kenya. Wow. And so I was wow. giving them a talk on science and technology. And one of the generals in Kenya asked me, you know, pretty much the same question. He said, what what keeps you awake at night? And I yeah. said to him, that's really easy, a general. It might not be the most appropriate setting, but I'm a Christian. And I feel that I'm not ready for Jesus to come back because the Bible says that those who believe will be followed by signs and wonders. And I'm not seeing the signs and wonders, you know, following me. So I'm scared that I'm not where I should be. And so (laughs) I'm really working hard at connecting more deeply, hearing God's voice. And I, I mm. want to understand what are the gifts in me that, you know, mm. I know that his fingerprints are all over what I've been able to do, but I feel mm. that probably isn't it. I mean, it's part of it, but I mm. want to be able to heal people, uh, Jesus yeah. to heal people through me, that is, and that sort of level, uh, and to hear yeah. God clearly. So working on humility, especially, mm. you know, the death to self. So I was talking to somebody else yes. today, and she, she says she has a friend who has that on her WhatsApp, death to self. And I was like, yes. yes i need to learn how to really die and that's what i really am focusing on right now
1: Hmm.
2: wow wow thank you thank you very much doc death to self this has been enriching for me and i'm sure for my brother frank as well and definitely to the thousands and tens of thousands of people who are going to listen to your story thank you for sharing with us your most precious resource time we deeply appreciate it and yeah we will uh I, got, I have to meet you now so I got to figure out a way to get to Kenya to meet you so there you go I was, th- I was thinking <laughs> the same thing
3: <laughs> likewise I missed that boat there Fosa. I missed that boat last week so I need to get back on it <laughs> there'll oh, be another one awesome. absolutely That's guys awesome.
4: it's, it's been You're really awesome. enjoyable thank you so much for having me on I truly appreciate it
0: we are grateful for the opportunity to serve this community and have listeners tune in from over 100 countries Entrepreneurship is often a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. You can find fellowship with other like-minded leaders by joining a foundation group. There's no cost, no catch, in person or online. You can meet an hour a week with peers in your area or on the other side of the world. You can also stay connected with us by signing up for our monthly newsletter at asia.faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. All this is made possible with the special help of our team and friends across the movements. Thanks to everyone leading entrepreneur groups and watch parties to spark this movement in your area. We are grateful for you.
2: Hey, everyone. All opinions expressed on this podcast, including the team and guests, are solely their opinions. Host and guests may maintain positions in the companies and securities discussed. And this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as specific investment advice for any individual or organization. Thanks for listening.